Let's pray. God, thank you that we get to come into your, to your house as the body of Christ to hear a word from you. God, I pray that you empower me as I speak. Open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear what you have to say. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our sermon series on unlocking the parables. And we actually only have two weeks left. Can you believe that? It's been kind of crazy. I've, had, I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have. It's been really fun to work through these parables, the teachings of Jesus together. And the last two parables we're looking at this week and next are dealing with the topic of stewardship, how we deal with our money and possessions. Now, I have to tell you about the timing of this. Because as you know, last week we just launched our building renewal campaign. And we had no idea that these two things would line up at the exact same time. You can ask Matthias, you can ask anybody on the leadership team. I plan my sermon series out roughly six months or so in advance, and I lay everything out so I know what's coming, so the worship team knows what's coming. And we began this task force back in January, and we thought, well, maybe we'll present in the summer. Uh, You know, it's probably going to be September. Oh, no, it's going to be October. Oh, no, it's going to be November. So it was just a crazy way that all of these came together, and that literally I am preaching on stewardship the Sunday after our property task force announced our building renewal campaign. I think there might be something going on here. Do you? This is, this is just, I see the hand of God, the providence of God through this. And most Monday mornings, I, the first thing I do is I get into the office and I look at the sermon or the, the text I'm going to be preaching on that week. I kind of like to get my mind thinking. I like to get it on, in the crock pot, so to speak, to kind of let it simmer in my mind so I can get ready to preach. And I was honestly a little shocked uh, when I read the parable that was for this week. And I want to look at verse 11 and 12 in Luke 16. You can look with me if you'd like. Jesus is applying this parable and he says, If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Verse 12. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? When I read this, I got up out of my chair and I ran excitedly over to Matthias and I said, Matthias, you are not going to believe. Jesus' application of this parable for this week. He is literally talking about managing somebody else's property the week after we just launched managing this property. Something might be going, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I see the hand of God behind this. I see the providence of God here. You know, God always wants us to be thinking about stewardship. Jesus talked about money and stewardship more than anything else. But I think God might be wanting us to think about this, especially right now in the life of our church. Stewardship, it's essential to what it means to live in the light of God's kingdom and eternity. And we're talking about stewardship. There's many definitions you could give, but one I think is helpful is from Ron Blue, who says, Stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. It's the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. The reality is, everything is God's. It's all a trust. And we must steward it for God's priorities in the world. Now, the first parable that you heard read this morning is called the parable of the rich fool. Now, basically, in that story, a man gets a windfall. He gets a lot of money. His, his, his harvest uh, does really well. And he says, what should I do? So he decides to build bigger barns and store everything up. But then God comes to him and he says, you fool, this night is your last night on earth. Now what will happen to all the things you stored up for yourself? You see, we've talked about eternity a few times in this series. It was a theme that Jesus was often talking about. And I believe the most important thing you can do with your earthly life is to make sure that you're prepared for eternity. There's nothing more important than that. 
And one of the most absolutely important ways that you will be ready for eternity is how you steward the money and property God entrusts to you. That is absolutely one of the most important things to be ready. Now, the rest of this sermon, we're going to be focusing more on the second parable uh, of the unjust steward, but we have to keep in mind this first one because the rich fool reminds us, in light of eternity, in light of the kingdom, nothing is more urgent than being generous. Nothing is more urgent than managing God's money and his property well. So then we're going to move on to the unjust steward who is going to help us, help us to consider how can we be better stewards of the things God has entrusted to us. So if you haven't turned there, I invite you to turn, in, uh, turn to Luke 16, looking at verses 1 through 13. In fact, if you read any of the commentaries, there's kind of debate of which parable is the hardest to understand. And many people think this is, up, this is one or definitely up there. So you might want to follow along because it's kind of a, it's, a, it's an interesting line of reasoning, which you will see as we get to it. But let's begin with what we can learn about stewardship. Point number one, we are all stewards of God's resources, and someday we will give an account of our stewardship. We are all stewards of God's resources, and someday we will give an account of our stewardship. The story begins, and the story uses the word manager, so I'm going to be using those interchangeably. Manager, steward, same thing. There is a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. So let's pause there. The rich man finds out this manager is wasting his possessions, wasting his money. So the rich man calls the manager in uh, and says, you're getting fired. Turn in your books and give an account of what you have done. Now, the manager has a little bit of time to turn the books in, and we're going to find out what he does momentarily. But let's dwell on this point of him needing to give an account. You see, in the ancient world, managers or stewards, they had immense power. They were given responsibility and authority over their owner's resources and all their estate. And there was a legal presumption that managers carry out the desires and the mission of the owner. What the manager does, it's as if the owner has, does it, has done it themselves. So the managers or the stewards, they have a responsibility to do as the owner or master would do. So let's, let's kind of bring this down to our world. Um, I asked Stan if I could pick on him earlier. I'm going to pick on Stan. He used to be a judge. So Stan, I'd like, I'd like to drop a legal document, okay? And I'd like you, and I don't think he's here. I was going to pick on Mason Olenicek as well, but is he here? There, there you are, Mason. I'm picking on you too. I hope you're okay with this. I think he will be. But, but I would like to, Stan, I'd like you to draw up a legal document that gives Mason all the authority of everything you own. Your entire estate, all your, all your bank accounts, all your money, all your cars, all your possessions. And I want you to give all of that authority to Mason. And he can spend it as he pleases and do with it as, as well, hopefully as you would want. But I want you to give that authority to Mason. Can you draw that document up for me? Okay, Mason, go have a ball. It's all yours. <laughs> that is the type of authority we are talking about. Now, if that's the case, Stan, aren't you going to make sure that if Mason has authority over your estate, you'd want him to know your priorities, your wishes, your desires, to spend all, a lifetime of things that you've accrued, you'd want Mason to know what your priorities are. Am I right? See, in the same way, the Lord wants us to know his priorities, his desires for how he would, how he would have us spend his money. So, of course, we would want to know how to spend that. Now, in this hypothetical scenario, you might think it would be a little maybe irresponsible of Stan to give all of his estate over to, no offense, Mason, to a teenager, 
It might be a little irresponsible, and you might be right, but isn't it a wonder that the God of the universe has entrusted people like us with his money and his resources? People who are so prone to live how we want, to do as we please, to be consumeristic, isn't it a wonder that God would entrust us with his resources? I mean, can you imagine if Mason had this authority, had this legal document, and just began to go buy a car, buy things that he liked, that he wanted, without considering Stan's desires? That would be immoral, wouldn't it not? But we do the same thing with God's resources. We spend how we please without considering our master's priorities and what he would have us do with what he has given us. And we're so prone to this, we're so prone to feel entitled to spend money however we please because we feel that we earned it, even though God gave us the opportunity, even though God gave us the ability, even though God has opened doors for us that we couldn't have opened for ourselves, even though God created us, we feel, we feel entitled to spend how we please. And the steward in the story, he is found wasting his master's possessions. Gosh, aren't we guilty of the same thing? Spending money on, on frivolous and earthly things, however we would like. But like this steward, we're going to be called to give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. When Christ returns, or when we, pa when we pass from this life into the next, we will have to turn in the books. We'll hand over our receipts to the Lord, a full record of everything that we have spent, and we have to ask, will he be pleased with the way that we have managed his resources? Will our, will our spending reflect his priorities, his desires? Or will, will there be aspects where we're a little ashamed? See, we will give an account. We will hand in the books. I like what N.T. Wright says. He says, money is not a possession. It's a trust. God entrusts property to people and expects it to be used to his glory and the welfare of his children, not for private glory or glamour. Friends, we are all stewards of God's resources. Someday we will give an account of our stewardship to our master. That's number one. Number two, wise stewardship requires a shrewd and savvy use of all our resources, especially our money. Wise stewardship requires a shrewd and savvy use of all our resources, especially our money. So in the story... The manager finds out he's getting fired. And in verse 3, he says to himself, what should I do now? And this is what all, all of us should be asking. In light of eternity, in light of a kingdom, what should I do now? What is my plan? The manager, he's been cheating his master. He's getting fired. He has, to he has limited time to turn in his books. And he realizes his options are limited. He says, you know what? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. He really, he sees he's getting fired, he's losing his social status, and he's get, really going to only have two options. Either I can do manual labor, which he says he's not physically able to do, or I can go out on the streets and be a beggar. And he obviously doesn't want to do that either. So he says, so what is he going to do? Verse 4, he says, I know what I'll do. He has a light bulb moment. He has an aha, I've come up with a plan. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He realizes he's going to need a new roof over his head. He can't stay on the master's property anymore. He's getting fired. Uh, and he's going to have to re rely on somebody else to take him in. Now, what you need to know about the Middle Eastern culture at the time, and it's still very true, uh, is it's a culture of reciprocity, a reciprocal culture. So if I do something good for you, you are going to have to reciprocate back to me. So when you would do a good deed for somebody, 
there is always kind of this underlying, you owe me one. You owe me one. If you did something good, someone would have to owe you one. That's kind of how it worked. So the manager realizes he needs to come up with a plan so that people will owe him one. So that he can be welcomed into their homes. So he devises a very secretive and very deceptive plan. Verse 5. He calls in each one of his master's debtors. He asks the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. By the way, that is a lot of money. This is a very rich man indeed. A lot of resources to steward. So he says, oh, your bill is 900. The manager tells him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Do you see what he's doing? He's changing the amount that they owe. While he still has the legal power, he's using his power to reduce their debts that are owed to his master in order for these people to owe him a favor. They're going to owe him one for doing this secretive plan. So in verse 7, he does it again. Then he asks the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He tells this one, take your bill, make it 800. Now in both of these cases, the bill is reduced by more than two years' wages. Two years worth of wages. He reduces the bill by a significant amount of money. They will owe him one indeed. And we get the sense that this steward does this over and over again with many of his master's debtors. And now because the steward or the manager, he is still in legal authority, what he has done is now legally binding. It's legally binding what he has done. And all these people are going to owe him a favor. And because of that, they will welcome him into their homes when he finds himself homeless and out in the street after he's been fired. And now, the parable ends very interestingly in verse 8. The master commends the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So the, man, the master commends the manager who is called dishonest. Why, why does this master commend the steward for cheating him out of all this money and being dishonest? That doesn't really make sense to us and that's why some people think this is one of the hardest parables to understand how can this dishonest steward be an example of Christian stewardship? Does it make sense to us? Let's try to figure this out. Because what, what Jesus is praising and what the master is praising is not the steward's dishonesty, but his shrewdness, his cleverness, his wisdom, his savvy in providing for his own future. I want to bring in a biblical scholar, uh, Craig Keener, at this point, And I think it's worth quoting in full so that you can understand some of what's going on here culturally speaking so the manager Craig Keener says has gained public favor for himself and for the master as a generous benefactor everyone's going to know that this master has done this very generous deed or so they think and if the master punishes the manager now it would appear to the public that he were doing so because of the manager's benevolent act Sure, the manager could be jailed, but he wisely stakes everything on his master's honor as a generous man. Pause there. We know in the ancient culture, this is an honor and shame culture. Your honor meant everything, and now everyone thinks this guy is such a generous man, there's no way he could go back on what everyone just thinks. So he says, and then Keener concludes here, he says, ancient stories often portray powerful persons as appreciating and rewarding cunning, even if it had been used against them. So what's going on here is that the steward, the manager, has kind of outwitted the master in order to provide for his own future. And the way that I, that I kind of under, understand this is, you guys know I love basketball, and so I think about if I was one of those people guarding Michael Jordan, when he hit one of those famous fadeaway jump shots at the buzzer beater to win the game, and I was one of the people guarding, you know what, I might, might shake my head in defeat, but I might say, gosh, he did it again. 
He did it again. He's just that good. Wow. You know, you've been defeated, but you can still respect what the other person has done. That's what's going on in this story. The master is saying, in other words, you got me. You played the system, you got me, and I, I can see how shrewd you were. It's in that sense. And in that sense, that is what Jesus is encouraging us to do. Look how Jesus interprets this. this interprets this. Verse 8. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Friends, this is a how much more parable. If people in the world, if people in business, if people in the marketplace will use whatever they can, whatever resources, whatever savvy they can to gain money for themselves and secure their future, if that is true, how much more should disciples of Jesus use everything at their disposal, all of their wealth, all of their wisdom, to secure their eternal future and to live for God's glory? If people in the business will do anything, how much more should people in the kingdom be doing more than that? So Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's kind of another confusing phrase here. But the steward, this says in the story, the steward uses money to be welcomed into other people's homes. In the same way, we ought to use money so that heaven will rejoice when we come home. So that heaven will rejoice. Jesus is likely talking about using our money here to serve the poor so that we will have eternal reward in heaven. Just like the sheep and the goats in that parable, the sheep are those who spent themselves in the least of these and, and Jesus welcomes them into eternal life. In the same way, God welcomes those who steward his money on his behalf for his purposes because they have proved to be his true servants, his true disciples. Why stewardship requires a shrewd and savvy use of all our resources, especially our money. Now, this doesn't mean to be strictly frugal. This is not talking about strict frugality. If you remember in the parable of the talents, the one servant who just buried the money and, and didn't make a return, that's the one who is criticized, right? So it's not just only frugality here, strictly speaking. He is, Jesus is praising those disciples who are shrewd, who are creative, who are clever, who are, discover ways that they can invest their money and resources so that they get a return for their master in the kingdom. And there's many ways to do this, and I... And, and I'm not a very creative person myself, but there are, there are small ways that we can be shrewd that I'm sure you could think of. One thing that Laura and I do in our lives is we, we do online giving. Because I have found if I don't do online giving, I might miss a week or I might not give to the charity I intended to give to. And you know what? I want to make sure that the charity or the church gets all the money that I intend to give them. So we choose to give online and studies show that when you give online, you end up giving more. And so we said, you know, we're going, to be, we're going to take advantage of the technology that there is so that we can maximize our giving to the church and to the charities and to the missionaries we care about. That's one thing we do. I think another example of shrewdness in our church is now we have this parking program over here for students at Wheaton South. And we have over 20 spots or so. We charge a small fee. It's cheaper than the high school. And actually, I discovered that the amount that we're receiving for this parking program actually covers our every other year seal coding. Now our parking lot is self-funded. That's kind of a, a small way, but it's a shrewd way, a clever way of maybe using our resources wisely to invest them in the kingdom of God. And there are thousands of ways that you could think about. I'll let you come up with that on your own. Number three, wise stewardship requires being faithful 
with even small amounts of money and possessions. Wise stewardship requires being faithful with even small amounts of money and possessions. Look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, Jesus is saying how you're going to handle a small amount is likely how you're going to handle a bigger amount. And God looks at the heart. God looks at your character. God looks at the small things and he makes, and he makes a judgment. And he tests your character on these things. And so how we handle even the small amounts, even the small things, is a reflection of whether or not we view God as the owner or ourselves. And we have to remember it's all God's, even the little things. And Jesus is saying there's some type of connection between how we manage God's resources and what happens in eternity. Remember in the parable of the talents, the ones who get an investment on what the master has given them, uh, the master says to them, I will put you in charge of many things. There is something that they are rewarded for, for their proper stewardship of the master's possessions. So again, how we manage our resources proves our discipleship to Jesus. And if we're faithful with what God gives us on earth, he knows that we will be faithful with the eternal rewards of heaven. I'll remind you that being a good steward does not require you to be rich. I think most of us, globally speaking, I would consider all of us to be rich, but it doesn't require you to be rich, to be a good steward. Uh, In fact, we can simply steward the little things that God gives us for his glory. But it's so easy, it's so easy to neglect the little things. Because it's like, why not? I can afford it. It's only a dollar, it's only five dollars, it's only twenty dollars, it's only a hundred dollars. Whatever it is, when you can afford something, it's so easy to neglect our mindset of stewardship because it doesn't impact our bottom line all that much. So we have to be very careful in this area. Now, I'm going to use another example in the business world because the business world, the point of this parable, is often way more shrewd than Christians are. I told you last week that I used to work at Chick-fil-A. God bless Chick-fil-A. Love Chick-fil-A. I had it a couple times this week. It was wonderful. And when I worked at Chick-fil-A, they, they said, okay, you can only give out two sauce packets. Unless they, unless they specifically ask for more. Because what they were finding is people were giving out three or four, or maybe even five, just, just out of the goodness of their heart. They said, no, 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 only give out two. And we're like, okay, what's the deal with three sauce packets? One extra, what does it cost you, five cents? But over time, five cents, ten cents, over giving out hundreds that day, giving out a thousand over the month, giving out a hundred thousand over the year, it could be a lot of money across their whole company. It could be a million dollars. You see, the business world knows that it's so important to be shrewd even with the small things because all the small things make a big impact. And Christians, we need to be just as shrewd, if not more shrewd, than the business world. Imagine if every Christian was living in such a way that we stewarded the small things. How much more impact could we make for the kingdom if we gave all that extra money to the kingdom of God? Gosh, it would make a huge impact. John Wesley was one of the best, I think, in Christian history at stewardship. And I could tell you many things that he did. Just go and read about it. But he had four questions that he would ask, encourage people to ask before they made a purchase. So here's, here's our four, here are four questions you can use. Number one, in making this purchase, am I being a steward? 
Is my identity such that God actually owns this money, not me? Am I being a steward in this regard? Number two, am I being obedient to the word? Is this something that the word would condemn or encourage? Am I being obedient to God's word and commands? Number three, can I offer up this expense as an act of worship? What I feel good about offering this up as a, to God's glory. And number four, will God reward me for this expense? When I turn in the books at the end, will my master be pleased? This is extremely challenging. And I don't want to put undue stress on you, but I, truly, but I believe, if we truly believe that God owns it all, and we're going to give an account of our stewardship, it's actually better to be more, thought, more thoughtful and not less. More intentional and not less. So we need to be asking ourselves these things. We've got to steward even the small purchases to the glory of God. But it's not just money, it's our possessions as well. Because Jesus says, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So there's a test on how we are handling the property that God allows to be in our possession. How do we treat the things that we have at home? Are we taking proper care of our homes, our cars, our possessions? And I do believe that this principle applies to what we are doing as a church with our facility. You know, the, boy, the Boys and Girl Scouts, they have this down. They tell you, and the Scouts, they tell you to leave a place better than you found it. Not just to maintain it to a standard, but actually when you, when you go, when you stay at a campground, you say, actually, make the place better than you found it. Friends, we are the generation that is going through this facility. Wouldn't it be great if we left this place better than we found it? If we left it better for the generations who come behind us? Wouldn't that be a great thing? To steward this for the glory of God so it's actually better than when we found it when we came in. Because there are people who gone before us who built this sanctuary. And they improved it. Let's be the generation that improves it even better for the next generation. Let's leave it better than we found it. So in regards to the campaign, you know, pray, give how you feel led, and ask the Lord how much you should give, and let's, let's extend this facility to the next generation, all for the glory of God. But you know what is even more important than that? Is your heart, your discipleship, your account of what you will give to God. And I, and I, I, I feel this burden for you as, as, as your pastor, that the most important thing that I can do is prepare you for that day. To prepare you for the day that you see Jesus face to face. If that's the only thing that I can do in my ministry, that's what I want to do, is make sure you're prepared. So you've heard me speak on eternity time and time again, and you'll keep hearing me speak on it because that is the most important thing. And Jesus ends this passage with these words. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Brothers and sisters, you've been given a trust by God. The money you have, the possessions you have, they are not your own. Even though the, the, the account might have your name on it, we might as well put Jesus' name on that account because it's Jesus's. We don't own the things that we have. It's all God's. Your house, your car, everything, it's all the Lord's. God owns it all. So the question for reflection this morning is, are you, are you acting right now as if you own your money or as if God if God owns it? And do you believe that God owns everything in your life? Do you believe that? If so, then I mean this with all seriousness, you must put your money where your mouth is. I must put my money where my mouth is. We all must. Because that truly shows whether we view God as the owner or we view ourselves. We will either serve the one or we will serve God. It's all God's. We are his stewards.
So spend it how your master would spend it. Spend it for his priorities. Spend it for his glory. And when you are ready at the end of your life to turn in the books, may he say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.